Alright, Shavu Say, good morning. Today's daf is Tess. We have a beautiful daf ahead of us today. We're picking up on Ches Amud Beis, which I have a lot to do. We're picking up 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, 20 lines up from the bottom. Last word on the line. Who just whistled? Whoever just whistled, cut that out. Right? So it says the Gemara, Amarava, Ruben Shemachar Kosa Dosov Lashemin. So also remember again, we were speaking about yesterday, the interesting, the interesting discussion about what happens when we'll call him Ruben has multiple creditors. So remember, to make the case interesting, we set it up as a case of Nazikin who collects from Edis, a Balchov who collects from Benonis, and a Ksubas Isho who collects from Ziboris. And then ultimately again, Ruben sells to Shemin. So then the was in those cases, we saw a variety of different cases, what rights do the creditors have in the property of Shimon? Now the Gemara comes along and says, Amar Rubin, Amar Rava, Rubin Shemachar Kolsodos of the Shimon, Vahadach Shimon Umachar Sada Achas Levi. So now what happens? Shimon takes one of those fields and he sells it to Levi. Uba Balchov the Rubin, and the Balchov of Rubin comes and wants to collect. Now remember, Rubin has no more fields. So now the Balchov of Rubin has to collect from one of the sold fields. Ratzamizegova, Ratzamizegova. If, if the creditor wants to collect from Shimon, he collects from Shimon. If he wants to collect from Levi, he could collect from Levi. So, hello, Amran, Ella Dezabin Benonis. So, we'll say that's only true if Shimon sold Levi Benonis, because then we'll say, remember, a creditor has the right to collect from Benonis. So, if Reuben sold Shimon all of his property, and Shimon sold Levi a field of Benonis, so now Shimon has Benonis, Levi has Benonis, so Rabbi teaches me that, that Reuben's creditor could go after Shimon or Levi for the collection of Benonis. But again, at the end of the day, if Shimon only sold Levi, Idis and Ziburis, then the creditor does not have the right to go after Levi for collection. Why? Because if the creditor shows up, if Reuben's creditor shows up at Levi's doorstep, Levi could say to the creditor, This is why I went out of my way to only purchase Idis and Ziboris from Shimon. Why? He says, Because these are lands that are not fit for you, creditor. You, creditor, are only entitled to collect from Benonis. That, so therefore, again, in that case, Levi would get out. Levi would not, Levi would not have to go ahead and honor the claim of Ruben's creditor. Furthermore, even if Levi bought Benonis, the only time that the creditor has the right to collect him is when lo amran elo shir Benonis de Kavasei, that's only if Rabosei, if Shimon sold all of the Benonis to Levi. But if, at the, Excuse me. Thank you. Delo matzi amarle hinachti lecha. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. Thank you. Thank you. Delo amarle. Thank you. If you brought it, that thank you. Thank you. So the Gemara says, so remember, this is only true. When do we say that the creditor can collect from Levi? That's only if, that's only if Levi didn't leave any, that's only if Shimon doesn't possess any like Benoness, any similar Benoness. About Zobin, this is Iburis, I'm sorry. Um, when Shimon went ahead and sold the property to Levi, Shimon also has some Benonis for herself. Then Lamaisa, again, Logavi Mine, then the creditor would not be able to go after Levi. The Matsi Amarle, Hinachti Lechamakom Lagabos Mimenu. Because Levi could say, Creditor, listen, I left you a place to collect from, i.e., I left you, Shimon still has 
bane on his property, go collect from him. So both sides, so it's actually, it's a very straightforward case. All it's saying is, is that Lamaisa remembered, lesson number one, is that when Ruven borrows money, all of his property is encumbered, and by the way, the interesting part is those encumbrances don't go away even upon the sale of the land, which if you think about it, is a very dramatic chiddish. Now all the Gemara is saying is that even if the buyer, Shimon, sells it to Levi, a secondary buyer, those encumbrances still, tra- still, still transfer, but Lamaisa, and therefore Ruben's creditor has the right to go after Levi, but that's only true if what? If Shimon doesn't have the necessary property for repayment. In other words, there's a progression here. Creditor first shows up at Ruvain. If Ruvain has nothing, then creditor shows up at Shimon. And only if Shimon does not have it, then then can creditor go after Levi. But creditor cannot choose to go directly to Levi for collection. This is another interesting case. So... Abayi says, Reuven sold Shimon property, Bachrayis. So we'll say, Achrayis means, I guess like a term will call it with a guarantee. So a guarantee means what? That Reuven says, listen, I'm selling you my property, and if for some reason the property gets seized in satisfaction of my debts, meaning Reuven says, listen, I have some outstanding cholos. So I'm saying that my intention is to repay them, but if for some reason this property gets seized from you, I pledge to make you whole. Right, so guarantee. So what happens? And then what happens? Reuven defaults on his debts. And the Bachel of the creditor shows up to take Shimon's property. He's not going to do that anyway, isn't he? Reuven sold the field. No. No. Uh, not true. You don't have to sell a field to guarantee. I could sell you a field with no guarantee. No. And, then, and then the creditor comes and gets the field from me, and I don't have a claim for identification against my seller? That is correct. Again, that's if you agree to it. Zeth, you could agree to anything in a sale, right? So meaning, if I, if I tell you I'm selling you the land, but again, if it gets seized from you, if it gets seized from you, I'm not paying you back. So again, you have the right to say yes or no. If you agree to that, then Lamaisa and it gets seized, you're out. You're done. So we'll say, so listen to this. So it says, the mm-hmm. So now what happens? Sure, now again, remember, this is the case of Achrayis. So here I sold it with a guarantee. My Bachel, my, the creditor of Ruben comes along. Good morning, Mr. Schoenfeld. The, the creditor comes along and seizes the property. So, so listen to this, I will say. So now the Gemara says, this is quite fascinating. Ruvain has the right, Ruvain has the right to argue with the creditor and try to convince the creditor not to seize the property from Shimon the buyer. Now, remember, if you're the creditor, if you're the creditor, so what could you easily say to Ruvain when Ruvain shows up at your doorstep? You can go in and say, listen, I don't want to talk to you, right? Why don't I want to talk to you? Because I have nothing to do with you. Right now, you have no property, right? You sold your piece of property to Shimon. My, my issue is with Shimon. So Ruvain has the right to bring the creditor to Beisdin to try to negotiate another form of repayment. Why does Reuven have that right? Because Reuven could say to the creditor, listen, if you seize this piece of property from Shimon, you know what's going to happen here, which is what? He's going to come back to me. So in order to help me avoid the headache, I would like you to come to Beisden to try to go ahead and negotiate a different kind of repayment plan. So this is actually quite interesting. So Rav is, act- so is actually saying, now I will say, we happen not to pass in this way, meaning if a creditor has a lien against land and the, and the debtor defaults, the creditor has the right to 
seize the land. If he wants to try to renegotiate a different form of repayment, that's his prerogative, but there's absolutely no halachic mandate to do so. But Abai is saying that nevertheless, the, the debtor has the right to, t- to beg, essentially, the creditor saying, please don't do this, because if you do this, Shimon is going to come back after me. Similarly, the Gemara says, We'll say, others say that this case applies even Shlobach Rais. So Shlobach Rais means what they So let's say Ruben sells Shimon again, a land without guarantee. Without guarantee, meaning, so therefore again, Shimon's house now, and the creditor shows up and takes the land from Shimon, so Shimon has no recourse against Ruvain. Even in that case, the Gemara says that Ruvain has the right to argue with the creditor and say, let's work out a different form of repayment. I, why is that? Because again, Reuven could say to the creditor, listen, please don't seize the land from Shimon. I, but there's no achrayas, so Reuven's not going to be on the hook. I don't want it to be braigis with me. I don't want it to have any complaints on me. Now, both I understand that's not just that I don't want somebody to have complaints on me. Remember, this also could impact you in a, in a financial sense, in a business sense, that ultimately, again, if Ruvain sells something to Shimon, and, because remember, the Pashtos, the reason why, we'd have to imagine that the reason why Shimon would buy without Achrayis is why? Why would somebody buy without a Christ? I mean, if you had to continue. So first of all, it could be a discount. It could be a discount. Or it could also be a level of trust. Right? It could also be that he trusts him. So the, which, again, is a bad idea. I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad idea to trust people. I'm just saying, you know, again, Halacha has fail-safes for these type of reasons. But again, Reuven could say to the creditor, listen, it's not in my best interest to have Shimon upset at me. Fine. So Reuven sold the field to Shimon without Achrayis, meaning no guarantee, top of test. Viyatsu alea sikin. And I will say, what happens? Look at Rashi, Asikin, Orin Lomar Shalanuhi. So I will say, so listen to this. So Reuven sells the field to Shimon, and then people start calling up Shimon and saying, oh, by the way, Shimon, you know, it's not your property. You know, that wasn't Rav, say differently. And it wasn't Reuven's field to sell. That was actually someone else's field. And Reuven sold you someone else's field. So if Shimon did not yet do a chazaka on the land, he can back out of the deal. But if he did a chazaka, he can't go ahead and back out of this. So what the Gemara seems to be saying over here, chazaka is a proprietary act. So if he did a chazaka already, then deal's done. If he didn't do a chazaka, then he has the right to say, listen, I don't want to get involved in this, and he could back out of it. So the Gemara says, my timer. So again, so why is it that if he made a chazaka, why is it that he made a chazaka, that he can't back out? In other words, if at the end of the day there are people that are claiming that it's someone else's land, that it wasn't Ruben's land to sell, so why doesn't that give Shimon the right to back out even if he did chazaka? So says the Gemara, the Amalei, because literally the seller, Ruvain, could sell to Shimon the buyer, could say to Shimon the buyer, you went ahead and you bought, look at Rashi, you bought a tied bag filled with air. Now what does that mean? So in other words, that you didn't do your due diligence. That Lamais again, at the end of the day, a tied bag filled with air means, if I sell you a bag, and it's tied, and it looks big, but you don't know what's in it, and I say, there's really good stuff in here, you really want to buy this right now, and you know, give me a hundred dollars, give me a hundred dollars, and you open it up, and you find that it's filled with air, whose fault is that? Now again, obviously, it doesn't make me a very good person, but Lamai said, at the end of the day, the responsibility is upon the buyer to do the due diligence. So I say to Ruben, Ruben says to Shimon, listen, you didn't do your due diligence on this, I'm sorry, you know, you did your chazaka, you can't back out. So the Gemara says, I'm sorry? 
So that's, so that's, so, oh, so we'll see why not Mekachtos. So the, remember, now, I'm not saying why isn't just a flawed sound. Now remember, if it was a Mekachtos, you should be able to back out even when, even after the Chazaka. So listen to this. So we're going to discuss this in just a moment. So the Gemara says, Me'emas havi Chazaka. By the way, from what point in time, from what point in time is it called the Chazaka? Nechidayish amitzri. So what's Nechidayish amitzri means literally when a person either begins to walk or begins to plow around the borders of the field. So we learned, we will learn that one of the forms of Chazaka is if a person walks around the perimeter of the property. That by definition is called a proprietary act. So the Gemara says, Davka Shalabach Rais. Now this is Davka in a case where he sold the land without Achrayis. He sold the land without any responsibility. But again, but if he sold it with Achrayis, then of course, the in this case, if it turns out that the property did indeed belong to someone else, then what? Then again, Reuven would be obligated to make Shimon whole. Now listen to this, Bosa. In the second version, we're going to answer Menachem's question. Others say no. Even if Reuven sold the field to Shimon with Achrayis, right? So remember, let's play this out. So Reuven sold the field to Shimon with Achrayis with, with a guarantee, and now people come along after the sale and say, Shimon, it's not your field because it wasn't Reuven's to sell. So he said, if, Ru, if Shimon already did a chazaka, I'm sorry, if Shimon didn't do a chazaka, he could walk away. Fine. If he already did a chazaka, he can't walk away. But why not? The Amr so we'll say, so remember, if there are people claiming that Lamaisa, again, at the end of the day, the field doesn't, didn't really belong to Reuven, so why can't Shimon just walk out to Mechachtos? Listen to this, the Amr Achvi Tirvach Vashalimach. Because we'll say, listen to this. Reuven says, listen, come back to me when they seize the field from you. In other words, just because someone says that it wasn't my field, to go ahead and sell doesn't mean that it wasn't my field to sell. In other words, so what Rubin says to Shimon is, Shimon, listen, if this, I, I sold you with Achrayis, so obviously if the field is, if the field is, if the field is repossessed from you, then of course I have obligation to make you whole. But I don't have any obligation to respond to accusations. I have an obligation, ultimately, again, to respond to proof, but not to accusations. Because I will say, according to this version, what's happening over here is, you know, Shimon spent a lot of money on a piece of property. And then people are calling him up saying, by the way, it was never Reuven's itself. So Shimon's saying to himself, what did I get myself into? I, I, I don't want to be involved in this. So he calls up Reuven and says, get me out of this. So again, if he didn't do the Chazak, he could walk away. But if he did the Chazak, Reuven said, listen. I will say, by the way, it's an incredible muster in life in general. Just because someone says something doesn't automatically mean that it's true. Right? We'll say you hear this all the time. Someone, someone complains about something, someone is upset about something because they perceive things in a certain way. Just because you perceive it that way does not automatically mean that that is the correct and absolute truth. So ultimately what Ruvain says to Shimon after hysterical Shimon calls him on the phone, he tells him, listen, Calm down. I sold you the land back, Rais. Say, if indeed the land is repossessed by someone else, you have a guarantee, and I will make you whole. But until you show me that shtar tirfa means that Shimon went to Beisdin, and Beisdin gave him a document that said that the land was seized by the real owners, until you show up and you show me that shtar tirfa, that document of, of repossession, I guess is the right term, Lemaisa, we have nothing to speak about. Rav Huna Amar, O Bikesef, O Metov. So we'll say, listen to this. Now we're going back a little bit. If you remember, two days ago, we had two different psukim. 
and we had two psukim, one said kasef and one said meitav. When speaking about going ahead and repaying damages, so one pasuk said that you pay back with money, one pasuk said that you pay back with the idis, with the best of your field or the best of your vineyards. So remember again, we spent a good amount of time trying to figure out how to resolve that contradiction. Now we're coming back to that. Rafuna Amar, O Kesef O Metav. So look at Rashi. Rafuna Amar, Lo Kash Yikradila El, Kesef O Metav, Dahaki Kamrahmana, O Kesef Yitin Lo, O Metav Sadovsa. So Rafuna says it's not a Kasha. It's not a contradiction. Rather, the Torah is telling you that with damages, I both say you have two forms of repayment. You could repay with money, Kesef, or if you're going to repay, with property, with real estate, you have to pay back with metaf. So we spoke about this, remember again, two days ago. This is the, actually, uh, ye- yesterday. So this idea that, remember, movable property, you could pay back with anything because there's always a market. Real estate, because it's harder sometimes to move real estate, so the mice, again, you have to give it this. Fine. But yet, when the Pasuk said Yashiv, that comes to include Shavakasef. It was said Shavakasef means ultimately, again, items worth money, even brand. So we'll say the reason why this is a Kasha because Rav Huna says you could even use Kasef. You could even repay with money. Rav Nachman said, well, the Torah doesn't say you can repay with money. The Torah says you can repay with Shavakasef, with things that are worth money, but love Dafka money itself. Oh, what's the case we're talking about? Where the guy doesn't have money. So we'll say if he doesn't have money, he could repay with brand. But if he does have money, he could repay even with money. But that's obvious. If let's say again, if, if I damage Ruve, if I damage Ruve, and let's say for argument's sake again, I have no money, but I happen to have a lot of brand. So, I, whatever the reason, it was on sale. So, I, so I, I go ahead, so now, I, I'm, you know, pay, I'm brand rich, cash poor, it happens, right? So now, what happens? So, I want to go ahead and I want to pay back my damages with brand. And if I have no money, so of course I can pay back the damages with brand. Ma'udetema, we'll also listen to this. And this is actually very important in Hilchos Nazikin. Ma'udetema, amrina le zil tarach zabin va'aisi le kasef. I'm going to thought that maybe we tell the damager, listen, go sell the brand. Go sell the brand, and what? Come back with the money. We are going to come back to this topic, by the way, because this is a fascinating discussion in general in terms of repayment of damages. This comes up, the post can bring down a case, actually a case in the Chuma Sadeshan, where Ruven damaged Shimon, and he caused him whatever we'll call $5,000 worth of damage. Ruven happened to own a soap factory. So Ruven says to Shimon, listen, I want to pay you. I'm going to give you $5,000 worth of soap. Right, five thousand dollars worth of soap. So the post can deal with this question. Does Ruben, so what does Shimon say? No expletives, right? Right, right, right. right. Shimon says, "What are you talking about? I want five thousand dollars worth of soap." So you know, Ruben says, "What do you mean? You could go, you could put it on eBay, you could sell it." So Shimon says, "You put it on eBay. I mean, not eBay, but you understand me, right? You, it's the tirchal. You do it. You you sell it." And you come back to you. So most I'm just pointing out over here. Again, we'll, we'll, that's a sugya. We'll discuss it in Bab So we have a little while. But again, but, but the Gemara says over here, you see, according to Rav Huna, this idea that Lemaisa, again, if I don't have cash, I could pay back with metaltalin. And the, and the damaged party can say to me, you go sell the metaltalin, come back to me with the cash. Amor Avasi, I'm not saying that's halacha that's this opinion here. Amor Avasi, ksafim harin kikarko. So Avasi said, money is like real estate. So the Mayhilcha, so so we'll say so practically what 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 does that mean? If you want to say that 
It means meitav. In other words, that Rashi says that if you want to say that, what it means is even if I have idis real estate, I could still pay back damages with money. That Rafuna already taught me that. Elo another fascinating case. Rather, it's dealing with the following situation: father dies, leaves two sons. The two sons split the estate. Now, both said the estate is made up of two parts: there is money and there is real estate. One of the sons took money, and one of the sons took real estate. So we'll say, what happens? The father had a creditor. The creditor comes and seizes the land, the real estate of the estate, in, in order to go and satisfy the debt. So the Azulhai, the Shakil Palga Biksafim. So we'll say, listen to this. So let's call the brothers Ruven and Shimon. So their father dies, they inherit the estate. Ruven takes the land, Shimon takes the money. What happens? And again, assuming, by the way, they're equal, they're equal amounts. Creditor comes along, seizes the real estate of Ruvain. So what is the Gemara teaching me? That Ruvain can then go to Shimon and say, Shimon, listen, pretty much the estate has just been halved. Now we have to split the rest of the estate. So the Gemara says, Pshita. So that, that, isn't that obvious? Hybra, the Hybra, both of them are sons of the deceased which means they should get to share in the estate equally. So therefore the Gemara says, no, no, so what's the case? Others, others frame this case in the total opposite. The Amr because we'll say, listen to this, so the brothers could say to each other, because we also listen to this. In a case where one brother takes land and one brother takes cash, the brothers can say to each other like this, we are both assuming an element of risk. So the brother who's taking cash, right, the element of risk he assumes is what? Cash can be stolen. Cash can be stolen. The brother who takes land, the risk he assumes is what? Land can be seized by a creditor. So what both brothers can say to each other is, look, you assumed your risk, I assumed my risk, so if the, and you wanted what you wanted, I wanted what I wanted, so if the creditor comes along and seizes the property from you, then what? Then what? Don't come knocking on my door. Because this is how we chose to divide up dad's estate. So the Gemara says, Ella, so what's the case of the brothers? Ella, l'shnei achem the natal chalko shal echad mehen. So we'll say rather the case is like this. Two brothers who went ahead and divided up the estate. Divided up the estate. And, when, and again, but they, let's assume there's no cash, only karko. The brothers divided up the estate, both had karko, both have land. And the creditor came along and took the portion of Ruvain. Vaha, so the Gemara says, so, but we already learned this case once before, where brothers divide up an estate, and again, let's assume they both got real estate, and now the creditor went ahead and paid, took back his debt from one of the brothers. We already learned this case. Brothers divided up the estate of their father, and the creditor came along and took the property of one of the brothers, supposed to say three-way machlokas. Rav Amar, Butla Machlokas. Rav says, I'll say that's what? That the, that the property division, the estate division is Butla. I was going to say, what does that mean? That when the creditor of the father comes and sees his assets from one of the brothers, the, they then take the remaining estate and re-divide that up among the siblings. So I will say, really technically speaking, 
the way that estate division is supposed to happen among siblings is first you pay off the debts of the estate, and then whatever's left is divided up. In this case over here, they divide it up before paying the debts. The debt is seized. Rav says, no problem. The original, the original um, division of the estate is void. Pull back all of the assets and redistribute again. That's Rav. Shmuel Amar Viter. Shmuel says, the brother whose property was collected, lost. He lost, and we'll see why that is. He lost out, he's, he's left with nothing. Ravasi, Ravasi is interestingly enough, Notel Ravia Bekarka Ravia Bemos. Ravasi says, Shibose, in Rav's model, let's assume for a moment you have two brothers. So each of them got Karka, the creditor came along and took rule called Ruvain's Karka. Then Rav says, you divide up the pot 50 50. Ravasi says, no, you don't give Ruvain, the brother who lost his property to the creditor, 50%, rather, you give him a quarter of the remaining land of the estate. Okay, so three-way machlokas, what to do in this case. Now the Gemara is going to explain each of these shitos. Rav Amar Batla machlokas. So Rav says again, when the creditor comes along and seizes the property of, remember, Ruvain and Shimon are the sons, seizes the property of Ruvain, so the property division, the estate division is void, and you have to go ahead and redistribute the assets among the sons. So, so kasavar, ha'achem shecholku kiyershim havu. Because we'll say Rav is of the opinion that when brothers divide up an estate, they are like Yarshim. They're Yarshim, as well as they're inheritors, which means that the responsibility to pay off the debts of the estate are shared equally by both of the brothers. Therefore, again, when one of the lands are seized, that by definition mandates a redistribution or redivision of the assets. Shmuel Amar Viter, Shmuel says that when Ruvain's assets are seized, he's, he lost, there's no redistribution of the, of the estate. Kasavar, ha'achim shecholko lekuchos. Oh, so we'll say, this is a fundamental machlokis in general about how you view inheritors. Do you view inheritors as inheritors or do you view them as purchasers? So Shmuel is of the opinion that you view them as purchasers. In other words, when brothers divide up an estate, essentially what they're doing is they're buying their respective interests one from the other and they're buying it, by the way, without any kind of guarantee. In other words, one brother doesn't guarantee the purchase of the other brother, which means that once they divide up the estate, they're essentially purchasing their respective portions from each other, and what? And they're totally disengaged. They're totally disengaged, which means then that when the creditor comes to go out and collect the property from Ruben, and Ruben has his land, his land, land seized, and what? And he knocks on Shimon's door. Shimon says, Shimon says, Sorry. Sorry. Right? I'm really sorry that happened to you, but Lamaisa has absolutely no impact on me. On the other hand, Ravasi Amarnoto Ravi Bakarka or Ravasi says that Ruvain, Ruvain, the affected party, has the ability to go back to Shimon and to reclaim, we'll call it one quarter of the remaining estate. So not a half. Remember, not like, not like, not like Rav who said 50%, and not like Shmuel who said nothing, but rather a quarter. So the Gemara says, Ravasi, Amar, Nit, Ravasi, Noto, Raviva, Kaka, Raviva, Mos, Misapkale, Ikiyarshin, Damu, Ikilakuchos, Damu. So it was very interesting. Shavasi, Ravasi is kind of sitting there watching this Makhlokus in Rav and Shmuel, and what? He's not sure who the Halacha court's like. 
he's not sure again, Lemaisa is the halacha that inheritors are like inheritors and therefore they should redistribute the estate, each of them getting 50% like Rav. Or do we say that inheritors are like purchasers and therefore again, once they divide up, they disengage and the Ruvain has no recourse against Shimon. So Ravasi is not sure. So what does he do? Interestingly enough, he takes a compromise position. He's not going to give Ruvain the full 50% of Rav, but he's also not going to give him nothing of Shmuel. So instead, he gives him a quarter, which I will say is a very interesting shita. Again, we're going to discuss it in greater depth. So what does it mean that again, what does it mean that money is like karka? So ultimately, again, it means in terms of meitov. So the Gemara says, Rabbi say, if that's the case, then that's we learn to Rafuna, because Rafuna is one who taught us that when we're repaying damages, you could use money or real estate. The Gemara says, Ravasi. just say that Ravasi is backing up the same point of Ravuna, namely, namely in the in the payment of damages. Rabbi say, a person has a choice: a person could repay with land, or a person could choose to repay with money or any movable form. of of property. It's actually a very beautiful Gemara. The halacha is when it comes to a mitzvah, when it comes to a mitzvah, you have to be ready to... Now, atshlish means up until a third. Maishlish, what does a third mean? If you're telling me that for the performance of a mitzvah, a person has to be ready to spend up to one-third of their wealth. Look at Rashi. Shlish peso. Shechaiv adam levaz veiz b'mitzvah. So lulav b'mitzvah. Lulav. If you want to say it means that a person has to be willing to spend up to one-third of their wealth for the performance of a mitzvah. So, say, so if I need to get a lulav and asterisk, I always, I always, I always, you know, when we do a little bit here, I always marvel. You know, people pick up, now. Nah, I don't like this one, I don't like that one. You know, we'll say, the lulav menestrogim we have, you know, what's the blame? Yitzhak Abedichev would have given for the estrog that we put back. You know, I'll take that one as a chidoch set. Right? <laughs> what, what he would have given for our estrog is so, it's just, we, we're privileged to live in such times. So if you want to tell me that I'm obligated to live, that I'm obligated to pay up to one third of my estate for the performance of a mitzvah, the Gemara says, okay, I, I hear that, but listen to this. Let's say it happens that what? There is the opportunity to perform three mitzvahs concurrently. Right? So let's say I have to buy my lulav and esrog. I have to go ahead and, uh, and buy my sukkah and uh, there's a tzedakah issue. Or I need a new pair of tzvillin. So that would mean what? I'd be declaring to like a bankruptcy right then and there, right? They're giving away all of my money. So that can't be. So the Gemara says, What it means is the following. For Hidr Mitzvah, for the purpose of beautifying a mitzvah, you have to be willing to spend more than up to a third additional. In other words, that if the mitzvah costs X, you have to be willing to spend an additional third for the performance of Hidr, for the beautification of the mitzvah. Look at Rashi for just a moment. So for example, so let's say I'm going to buy a Sefer Torah. And one of them is more Hadr, one of them is more beautiful than the other. Yosef Shlish Hadam Both a person should spend up to an additional third for Hidr Mitzvah, for the beautification of a mitzvah. Now, where does Hidr come from? Rashi says, Disanya, Zekeli Vanvehu, Hisnoel Lafana Bemitzvos, Asenucha Sefer Torah Noah, Lulav Noah, Talis Noah Titis Noah. So, we'll say the Pasik of Zekeli Vanvehu, this is my God and I will exalt him. So, the Anvehu, the Gemari sees the, the Shorish over there of Noah. 
of Noah. His Noah from beautify yourself. That's the source of Hidden Mitzvah. But when we do a Mitzvah, we don't just do it to get by. We don't just do it to be Yotze. But we beautify it. We make it something beautiful. So the Gemara has something important halacha that you are obligated to spend up to an additional third for Hidden Mitzvah. You mean, I'm not obligated to go crazy for Hidden Mitzvah, but up to an additional third for the sake of beautifying the mitzvah. So by Rav Ashi, now Rav Ashi has an interesting shayla, shlish milagav, o shlish milabar. We will say, now here's the interesting part. How do you determine, how do you determine, how do you determine the third? In other words, we both say, do I take the third from the outside or do I take the third from the inside? In other words, we both say, so for example, so for example, do you go ahead and essentially say, the item costs X, the item costs X, therefore again, I, so take a third of that and add that on, or instead, perhaps what I do is I go ahead and I take the item, the price of the item, I split that into two, and I add on an additional piece just like that. So how ultimately, again, how do you calculate the value of hider to which the Gemara uh, says, Teiku. Right, so in that respect, we're not exactly sure how to calculate how to calculate how to calculate hider. Now, say, now, so what you would do is in this kind of case, you'd be permitted to take the more makel approach, whichever one yields the lower number ultimately, again, could be your calculation for, for, for hider. This is amazing. In Eretz Yisrael, they said, in Eretz Yisrael, they said that for Hidr Mitzvah, up until a third, that's from you. If you decide to spend more than a third, that's from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now, what does that mean? It's actually very beautiful. It says the Gemara. So, The first third, that you spend on Hidr Mitzvah, so beautifying the Mitzvah, that's my obligation. And therefore, again, don't expect any form of repayment for that from HaKadosh Baruch Hu in this world. That's from the Ribonosh, that, that's my obligation. If I choose to spend more than a third on Hidr, then the Gemara says, Mashi Yosef, Rashi says, Mashi Yosef, Behidr Yosef, Ashlish, he parla HaKadosh Baruch Hu B'chayim. That's actually quite a beautiful Gemara. If you spend more than a third, ultimately again on Hidr Mitzvah, the Rebomosh Olam gives that back to you in this world. So up to a third, that's my obligation to spend on Mitzvahs, Hidr Mitzvah in this world. I'll get rewarded, but I get that reward in Olam Haba. More than a third on Hidr Mitzvah, HaKadosh Baruch Hu even rewards me for that in this world as well. Quite beautiful. Oh, so that, that's the sugi the Gemara brings down. There's a whole limud for a third. That's not, the Gemara doesn't go through it over here. It's also the Gemara comes up with a number that is a manageable number that doesn't represent a ridiculous increase, but represents a normal amount that a person would be able to spend above and beyond the expected asking price. Says the Mishnah, anything that I'm obligated to watch, in other words, anything that I was negligent, and say like this, anything that I'm obligated to guard, and I was negligent in guarding it, hechsharti es nisko. I allow for the damages to happen, and therefore I'm obligated in damages. Hechsharti be miktsas nisko. If ultimately, again, I allowed for partial damage to occur, chafti betashlume nisko kehechsher kol nisko. So I will say, if through my negligence, I allowed ultimately, again, for some, some, so some partial amount of damage to occur, 
I am responsible for all the damage that occurs. In other words, we're going to obviously define the scope of each of these statements. So now the Mishnah is going to talk about when... So again, the paradigm that the Mishnah is creating is if I'm obligated to guard something, if I'm obligated to guard something, and again, I did not do my job in properly guarding it, I am responsible for damages that occurred as a result. That's the principle. And even if only partial damages occur, I am still obligated for the complete damages that occurred. Again, we'll discuss what that means. Now the Mishnah is telling me that's what? That there are only certain types of damages for which I'm obligated. Namely, she'in bahen mi'ilah. Both say, I'm only obligated if my animal, if I damage items that are not subject to mi'ilah, which means, so we learned this before, you're not obligated if what? If my ox damages the ox of hekdish, so remember again, I'm not obligated. Because remember again, shore ehu, we learned that yesterday. Shore ehu, below shor shal hekdish. So I'm only obligated if I damage something that is not subject to mila, which is another way of saying, only if I damage something that's not a property of the base amikdash. Nechasim shehin shal b'nei bris. Furthermore, I'm only obligated if I damage the property of another Jew. Now we'll discuss this about say as well, because this obviously is a fascinating discussion about damages done to the property of a Gentile. So we'll discuss this. Furthermore, I'm only obligated if I damage property that are, have a defined owner, as opposed to, as we'll see, property of Hefker. And furthermore, I'm obligated... If I did damage in any place, with one exception, Also with the exception of, if my animal damages Ruvain's animal, and Ruvain's animals, are, and this damage happens on Ruvain's property, right? Or I should say differently, Ruvain's animal damages my animal, and we're sitting on Ruvain's property, that Lamaisa, again, Ruvain is not obligated for those damages. And furthermore, again, if Ruvain's animal and my animal are in fields that we jointly own together, and Ruvain's animal damages my animal, Ruvain's not going to be liable for that as well. Again, we're going to discuss each of these cases in greater depth. <laughs> Furthermore, when the, damager, when the damager damages, he's obligated to repay damages from the best of the land. Says the Gemara, Tan Rabbanon, Kol Shechavti, Kol Shechavti B'Shmira Shati is Nisko. So the Mishnah gave a principle, anything that I was obligated to watch, and I was derelict in my responsibility, and therefore again, I allowed damages to happen. I am responsible for those damages, Ketad. But, but let's see, what's the case? Shar Ubar, Shemasran Echeri Shota Vekad. So we'll say, here's the case. Let's say there was a shard ox, or a bar, a pit, and I gave them over to be watched, by a cherish, a deaf mute, shote, someone who's insane, or a katan, a minor. So I gave these, these items over to one of these people, but what's about to come down between all these people? They lack mental capacity, they lack das. So veziko, and as a result, the shard did damage, the bar did damage, chayiv l'shalib, I, I, the person who handed over the item to the cherish, shote, the katan, am obligated or liable for the damages. Masha'in kein be'ish. But I will say this will not be true by fire. In other words, if I gave a fire over to a cherish shot of the cotton, and then the fire does damage, I'm not responsible for that damage. So the man says, well, what's going on over here? Bimai. Bimai asks, you know, what's the case? See if you want to say, I'm giving over to the cherish shot of the cotton, a shore that's tied up, and a boar that's covered up. 
And therefore, I give him the equivalent case of a fire bureau. I'm not giving him a fire, but rather what? I'm giving him a burning coal. A burning coal. So I'll say, so if that's the case again, so then why, why would it... So I understand in the case of Eish that I wouldn't be chayiv because I'm not giving him a fire. I'm giving him something that, if fanned, could turn into fire. So I'm not chayiv. If that's the case, I shouldn't be chayiv if I give him a tidal box. And I shouldn't be chayiv if what? If I give him a covered bar, because those are all sides not actively able to do damage right now. So Ella, rather, what has to be the case? Bishar Mosar or Bar Magola. Rather, the case must be, I give him the cheri shot of the cotton, an untied ox, or an open pit. So I'm giving them items that actively have the ability to do damage. Well, if that's the case, the kavosa gabeish, the parallel case by fire would be, shall have us. Uh, giving the cheri shot of the cotton a flame. If that's the case, mashe'in came be'ish to potter. So why should it be then that in that case, a'ish should be potter, should be chayv. The same way if I give the cheri shot of a cotton, a ox, an ox, or an untied ox, or an uncovered bar, that I'm chayv for that. If I give them a flame, that should also be chayv for that. That the only case where I'm potter, if I gave the cherry shot of a cut in the fire, is only a case of where I gave him a coal. Because then if he goes ahead and fans the coal, and as a result makes it into a fire, and that fire does damage, then the cherry shot of a cut in themselves are chayiv, to whatever degree they have chayiv. But I am potter. Aval shall have his chayiv. My time, I'll bar his But again, Rish Lakish said that if I give the cherry shot of a cotton a flame, then I'm definitely chayiv. Why? Because I've given them an object that actively has the capacity to do damage. To which the Gemara says, the Olam, Bishar Kasher, or Bar Rather, the case of Yerabot says, where what? I'm giving the cherry shot of a cotton a tied ox and a covered and a covered pit. And that's why, again, I'm, when, I, when I give it to them, if it subsequently does damage, I'm not chayiv for that. And by a fire, again, I'm giving him a coal. I'm giving him a coal. So remember again, what's Ta'alokha? So remember again, what's Ta'alokha? When I give him the tied ox, and I give him the covered pit, and let's say, that's Ta'alokha. If it does damages, Ta'alokha is, I am Chayiv. But yet, in the case of my age, if I, as long as I give him a coal and not a real fire, I'm Potter. Why the distinction? To which the Gemara says, Shor Darche Bar Because I will say, it is the way of an ox. It is the way of an ox to what? To untie itself. And it is the way of a bar to become uncovered. Therefore, even though right now when I, when I give him these items, they're actively tethered and covered, but it's just a matter of time until ultimately, again, they become uncovered or untied. Gacheles with a coal, as long as the cheri shot of the cotton does nothing to it, then what will happen to it? The derech is, it extinguishes. The derech is, it does not get hotter, it does not turn into a flame, but rather if you leave it, ultimately again it extinguishes. Therefore the Gemara is suggesting right now that even if I give the cheri shot of a cotton a tethered ox or a covered bar, it's only a matter of time until those items become capable of doing damage, but the coal, as long as the cherry shot of a cotton does nothing to it, and therefore I'm chayiv, but the coal, as long as the cherry shot of a cotton does nothing to it, it will extinguish. Because of that, again, if I give that to him, I am potter, because ultimately, again, if he chooses to fan it and make it into a flame, that's something happening of his own volition, and not ultimately, again, connected to the action of me giving him the coal. All right, so we'll stop over here. We'll pick up with Amir Tzashem Tanra tomorrow.